The following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light across in our city and world through the transformed lives of its people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Today's sermon passage is Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're using Genesis 1 as our landing point, right, or a launch point, rather, but we're going to hit a couple of scriptures this morning. We're just using Genesis 1, chapter 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 as point, a launching point for us. Um, but, but what we're talking about this morning is loving your neighbor towards unity, all right? Loving your neighbor towards unity. Um, and, 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 and I'm talking about, you know, unity that's cross-cultural, that's cross-ethnicity, that's cross-age, that's cross-gender, all right? That's, that, that really just crosses all spectrums and, and, and puts all of those things at the foot of the cross and says, hey, I'm laying down my crown, whatever crown I got, whether it's my country, whether it's my race, whether it's my gender, whether it's my, whatever, my age, whatever it is, I'm laying that crown down at the altar and I'm, I'm joining in to what God is doing with not just um, a, a white church or black church or a hip church or not hip church or a older church or a younger church. I'm joining in to what God is doing with his church because there is one church, all right? And so, and so one, of, one of the things that's beautiful about what we have is that we, you get a chance to see that dynamic in this room every single Sunday, the fact that we are one church. You see all sorts of different genders, ethnicities, obviously, and, and, and age groups coming together. But, but yet and still, there's like, even as, as we see this unity happening in here, there's like a whole bunch of stuff going on outside of this circle that, that I want to kind of key in on. And, and, I, and I'm praying that I help you work through this. And I'm praying that I help you navigate some of these things that you're seeing um, in your daily lives. All right. Um, because let's 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 set the record straight to remain separated is to miss what God is actually accomplishing through his son, Jesus Christ. To remain separate is to miss what the gospel, one of the things that the gospel actually came to do, to let cultural distinctions be the determining factor in and in, and in, in whether or not we unify. Right. Is to undermine the gospel's work in creating one new man, one new body for one Lord and one Savior, all right? So it's not just something, it's not just a good to have, it's not just a bright idea, it's actually something that we feel like is essential to to what God is doing, to what Jesus Christ is doing, is to bring people together from all these different spaces. And one of the most radical ways that you can go about establishing uh, that, that, that type of unity is to first pursue it in truth, all right? and then pursue it in love. So you can't really have this unity without truth. If, if you have this unity and it's not built on truth, then it's a false unity and it'll eventually fade. It'll eventually crumble. So we want to build it in truth, but we also want to make sure that it's built and forged in love because you can't sustain it without love. 
because you're going to rub each other wrong all the time when you start coming from different spaces and different backgrounds and different ethnicities. You're going to rub each other wrong all the time. And so you need love to sustain it, and you need love to defend it. And I'm going to talk about what that means to defend it in just a second, all right? So, so let's talk about the ideal of truth as it relates to how we get, get to unity through truth. We get to unity through truth by seeing unity as a gospel issue. And when you think about it as a gospel issue, here's what you need to understand, is that the gospel itself is in color. The gospel is in color. And what I mean by that is that when you read the gospel or when you look at the Bible from beginning to end, what you see is that God is doing this work, doing this good news or, preach, or sharing this good news with the world, and he's doing it all the time saying it's for everybody. He's doing it and at every single point in time, making sure everybody knows that it's for them. So he, when, for example, when you talk about God and creation, which is a gospel pillar, we see that it's for everybody. And when you talk about God in the fall of man, we see that everybody failed and it impacted everybody. And when you talk about God in the redemption of man, we see that Jesus came, the Bible says that for God so loved the world, he loved everybody, right, that he sent his son. And then when you see even in the restoration as God brings this thing to, to, its, um, to its conclusion or to its climax at the end when we're, when we're in heaven and we're living throughout eternity, we even see pictures of it showing everybody, all right? And we're going to talk about each one of those things, but let's talk a little bit about Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says that then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So the first thing I want you to know is that man is unified in his divine or divinely dignified creation. We're unified in that. We all share that. Genesis 1, verse 26, verse 27, you and I share that. We have that in common. After five and a half days of creation, God goes about, he's creating day, he's creating night, he's creating seas, and he's creating lakes, he's creating vegetation, he's creating animals, he's creating uh, flying animals, he's creating swimming animals, he's creating land animals, he's even creating insects. And then on the second half of day six of creation, he says, let us make man in our image. This is the only creation in all of the first chapter that we find God in the midst of a conversation. He says, let us. He never says that any other time throughout creation. He says, let there be light, there's light. Let there be fish in the sea, there's fish in the sea. Let there be birds in the air, there's birds in the air. Let there, be bird, uh, let there be animals on the ground, there's animals on the ground. Let there be insects, there's insects. And then he gets to man and he says, let us make man. There begins a conversation. Whether that conversation is among the council of heavenly hosts or whether that conversation is within the Trinity itself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we don't know and we probably never will know. However, it bears mentioning that on this final day, God is flexing his creative swag and on his last creation, we see the first consultation session in creation. Let us make. 
So what, what sense can we make of that? Well, one thing is that God places high value in man. Man is unlike any other creation that God has created, thus the conversation. Man's the only creation on earth that's given the distinction of being created in the image and likeness of God. R.C. Sproul said the creation in the image of God is what sets humans apart from all other creatures. The stamp of the image and likeness of God connects God and mankind uniquely. Though there is no biblical warrant for seeing man as God-like, there is high dignity associated with this unique relationship to the creator, end quote. He says that being created in the image of God is to be connected with God, not to be God, but to be connected with him in a unique way that, uh, that's unlike any other creation that he's ever brought about. Because we are endowed with God's image, we have what is called the communicable attributes of God, meaning that when I say that, it means that we carry moral capacity and complexity that resembles God in the way that we reason, in the way that we love, in the way that we extend grace to one another, in the way that we exercise wisdom over our decisions. You never see a, a gang of monkeys getting together around a conference room table discussing how they're going to make, uh, discussing their strategy for, for, for next uh, next. FY's of uh, budget, right? Anybody? You don't see that. Why? You, don't, you never see a, 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 herd of, a herd of cattle gathered around together, uh, hanging out in a conference room, discussing how they're going to boost the morale of the, of the, of the, of the cows that are also, uh, the rest of the cows that are on the farm, right? God has uniquely built man to do these things. He's given them high capacity, high dignity. He's given them an ability to reason unlike any other creation. He's given them an ability to, to feel unlike any other creation. He's given them an ability to think unlike any other creation. But it was not simply some man. God says that it was every man, that man, man was given the image and likeness of God. And from that man, all other what? Women and men came through. Does that make sense? So how is that undermined throughout the history of the world? Because this truth, that truth, man, every man has been given the image of God and has been given high capacity from God to connect back to God. That has been undermined throughout the centuries, even today. And one of the primary reasons that is undermined often is because people are seeking power or exploitation. And if they, if, they, if they can get one or the other, they normally do it by undermining the fact that all of us were created in his image and likeness. So according to many historians of old, the black race is not equal to the white race. That is actually, you go to history books, you read science, uh, science books of old, and you find that that is literally written in the pages. This was, this was salt, again, to be proven through science. They tried to prove it through science. They tried to prove it through Christianity. And, of course, they also obviously tried to prove it through politics. As a matter of fact, Alexander Stevens, the, the, the vice president of the Confederate States of America, the ones, the ones that succeeded from the Union, okay, in the, in, in the 1800s, he wrote in 1861 a speech that he gave to a large mass of people. And, this, and in this speech, he says this. He gives clarity, okay? He gives clarity to the Confederates' reason for succeeding, for leaving the Union, 
and setting up their own, uh, setting up their own state. And he gives clarity to their opinion on the African-American race moving closer to freedom. This is what he says, quote, the new constitution has put at rest. He's talking about their constitution, the Confederate constitution. The new constitution has put at rest forever all the agitating questions relating to our peculiar institution, African slavery. As it exists among us, the proper status of the Negro and our form of civilization. You heard that. African slavery is the proper status of the Negro in this civilization. This was the immediate cause of the late rupture and present revolution. In other words, Alexander Stevens, the vice president of the Confederate States, says, this is the reason we are at war. And then he says this, which by the way, you can go back, this is, this is written, all right? This is not me just finding this and cooking this up. This is in all the history archives, okay? So you can read this. He says this. Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Talking about the idea that one, one, one group says that all races are equal. He says, no, 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 no. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man. That slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral, listen, moral truth. That's a slap in the face of God. To say that his creation, any part of his creation, that their only condition, that their moral condition in this world, that their physical, that their philosophical condition, that their proper status in this world is to be continuously and eternally under the foot of another being or another race. But it doesn't just stop on that side. According to the Nation of Islam, white, the white race is not equal to the black race. He, he is a substandard version of him um, originating from a black scientist 6,000 years ago by the name of Yakub. And Yakub was the biblical Jacob, and he is said to have done this, 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 or said to have created the white race through a form of selective breeding referred to as grafting while living on the island of Patmos. And so you have Alexander Stevens on one side, you have Elijah Muhammad on the other, both of them speaking the same language, which is, I'm supposed to be up here, and you're supposed to be down here. Does that make sense? Both of them a slap in the face to the gospel of Jesus Christ, a slap in the face to Genesis 1 that says that every man came through this one man and every man was given the image and the likeness of God. High moral capacity, high moral complexity, able to connect back to God and with God. In order to treat others created in the image of God like they're less than human, and in order to withhold the compassion of God that, or the compassion that God calls us to show every human being created in the image of God, we often find that what we have to do is we have to try and find a way to dehumanize those people. If we can dehumanize those that we disdain or those that we hate, and if we can dehumanize those that we are seeking to exploit for our own capital gain, then, then we don't feel as bad when we do the things that we do to them, right? They're, after all, they're not, they're not human anyway. They're subhuman. They're substandard. 
We tell ourselves that they aren't worth helping because they come from terrible or poor places, for example. We tell ourselves that, that their whole race is inferior to ours because we've met a few that weren't as smart as we were. We tell ourselves that, that their whole culture is behind ours because none of the elements of their culture fit our preferences that have been shaped and formed by our upbringing and our location and our exposure. We tell ourselves that they aren't worth loving because we have encountered some of them who are really mean and treat us really harsh. So it must be because they don't have the capacity to love and it must be because that all of them are like that. We dehumanize in order to assert our power and to exploit one another. Does that make sense? And it's these lies that ignite a holocaust. It's these lies that we tell ourselves that sustain a slave trade. It's these lies that we tell ourselves that starts a religion where we tell ourselves that the black man himself is God. This undermining of the image of God continues even today as people claw and people fight for power in this day and time. A Kansas state representative just last week literally took some of the junk science from the 1930s and said the following regarding the legalization of marijuana in his state. This is the quote. In the 1930s, when they outlawed all kinds of drugs across the United States, what was the reason they did that? One of the reasons why, I hate to say it, is the African-Americans. They were basically users, and they basically responded the worst to those drugs just because of their character makeup, their genetics, and that sort of thing. Folks, this wasn't in the 30s. This was last week. This was last week someone said this. By the way, not true. Seeing your brother as less than obstructs the way towards unity. Regardless, no matter how hard man tries to suppress it, God will not allow it, though. His image will not be denied in humanity. You can try, we can try, but his image will not be denied in, hu in humanity. As a matter of fact, that brings me to another thought. How is it affirmed? How is the image of God affirmed in some ways that we see even in our modern day? Well, there was a project called the Human Genome Project in, the, in, in, in 2000. They released the results. Anybody ever heard of the Human Genome Project? Anthony's really, really smart, by the way. So me and Anthony have heard of the Human Genome Project. But in the Human Genome Project, all right, they made some interesting discoveries about our kinship, our likeness to one another. What they discovered is that the DNA, the DNA makeup of man is 99.9% .9 the same. 99.9% .9 of your DNA makeup is the same as every single person that has ever lived on this earth. The conclusions that they drew show that the ideas that were cooked up about race are categorically false. The ideas that one race is lesser than the other because their skulls are bigger, that means they have bigger brains and that must mean that they're smarter. Or the, idea, or the ideas that one group has, has, has a propensity towards sexuality and another group doesn't have propensity to sexuality. The idea that one group is just, they just love to hunt, just, that's just because of how they're made up. All of that kind of nonsense is categorically false. We're 99.9% .9 the same. And there is more genetic variance between a school of penguins than it is between you and I. 
Seriously. There's more genetic variance between a group of penguins that you see than between a white person and a black person, or a black person and a Latino person, or a Latino person and an Asian person. The project uncovered this conclusion that the vast amount of DNA variances in people exist among the people groups in Africa, meaning this, meaning this. If you concentrate on the actual DNA and don't try to sort people based on color and don't try to sort people based on where they're from, just concentrate on the DNA. What you will find and what you will discover is that there is more genetic variance between someone from Ethiopia and someone from Zimbabwe than there is from someone from Ethiopia and someone from Europe. Did you hear that? That genetically speaking, the Ethiopian is closer aligned in his makeup to the European than he is to his kinsmen in Africa, the Zimbabwe. You understand that? We are not that different. We are very much alike. To quote Dr. King in the creation sense of the word, we are all indeed God's children. However, we are not just unified in our common dignity, we are also unified in our common struggle. Genesis 3, when you read Genesis 3, you see that there was a fall of man, right? That Eve ate of the fruit and then she gave the fruit to Adam who also ate and their eyes were opened and they saw, they, and they, they saw that they were naked. They, and they, they covered themselves due to their shame. They covered themselves. And then they went and hid from God. And God went looking for them. And when he found them, then he pronounced a curse, a curse that would bleed all the way down into you and I. And so fallenness, our fallenness, our dignity and creation, we have in common, but our fallenness we do as well. When Adam fell, we all fell. And this, this is what's interesting to me is that sometimes I, what, what I find most interesting is that our people groups try to compare one another's fallenness to see who's more fallen than the other, don't we? Got to be bold this morning, right? I got to really be bold this morning. So, so like, you know, the black people over here will be like, man, them white people something. They are some boy. You just can't trust them. Just can't trust them. White people probably be over here doing the same thing. I'm not white, so I can't, I, I don't know. So, so, so white people over here saying, saying whatever they're saying. Black people over here saying whatever they're saying. Asian people over here saying whatever, whatever they're saying. Jewish people over here saying whatever they're saying. And everybody's comparing one another's brokenness, right? Trying to see which one is most broken. Genghis Khan, an Asian dictator and, and, and conqueror of, conqueror of nations says that you can attribute literally 40 million people's death to that one man. He's Asian. Joseph Stalin, Russian dictator, they say you can contribute 20 million people's death to that one man. He's Russian. Adolf Hitler, he's German, said you can contribute or you can, you can attribute roughly 12 million deaths to that one man. He's German. So we got Asian, Russian, German. America, from the mid-1600s to the late 
1800s. America was the foreign resident for millions of slaves that had been kidnapped and brought over to this country. Over a million dead just in the passage. Did you hear me? Just in the bringing of the slaves here, a million dead. Over a million dead. Discussing the economics of slavery, uh, Roger Ransom writes, by 1860, there were more millionaires living in the lower Mississippi Valley, in other words, living in the South, slaveholders, all of them, than anywhere else in the United States. In the same year, the nearly 4 million American slaves were worth some $3.5 billion of free labor making them the largest single financial asset in the entire U.S. economy worth more than all manufacturing and railroads combined. $3.5 billion of free labor was in operation for hundreds of years. America. Got Russia, Asia, German, Germany, America, Iraq, ISIS. Middle Eastern origins killed thousands of people, enslaved even more. The number continues to grow. Africa, Boko Haram, terrorist group, has killed, some estimate, over 15,000 people, and that number is rising. They've been captured men, women, children, even going as far in 2014 and barging into a Nigerian all-girls school and taking some or over 200 young girls, 276 school-age girls, and putting them into slavery and bondage, and God knows what else they were doing to those children. A hundred of them are still missing. 100 plus are still missing. That's Africa. Chicago, 2016, suffered nearly 800 homicides. 800. 70% due to gun violence in 2016. Over 70% of those, of those homicides were due to gun violence. Over 80% of the victims were African Americans. Another 15% were Latino. So, so Africans and African-Americans have their share as well. But, but mass shootings committed in the states since 1982. The vast majority of the mass shootings committed in the United States are by Muslims. No. No. Not even close. Overwhelmingly vast majority white men. Listen to this, folks. Look at me. None of us are above each other on this ladder. The brokenness runs through each and every single one of the ethnicities that God has on his green earth. And it, it's because it started with one and it bled to the rest of us. No need to compare yourself. No need to say your ethnicity is greater than the other. We are all broken. So many of us, we, we, we play the nationalism card, right? We, we, we like to play nationalism and ethnocentrism all in the same. Uh, we like to play it as a sub-religion. So we say we're Christian, but we say we're Christian in like, like 
so black that we're anti-white, but we're Christian too. Or we say we're Christian and we're so like pro-American that we're anti-everybody else, but we're Christian too, right? And, and, what, and what we often do in that nationalism or in that ethnocentrism, this is what we do. We will look at the Bible and we will, as Christians, see our nation or our ethnicity in the scriptures as the good guys. And so, and so when we look at, at Egypt and Pharaoh enslaving the Israelites, we'll see ourselves as naturally Israel. Here's the shocking truth. I'm afraid if you pull back the covers on your ethnic groups, what you will discover is that your people, my people, our nations have had a hand in playing Egypt just as much as we have had a hand in playing Israel. Are you tracking with that? By the time we get to Genesis 6 after the fall, we hear God say this in Genesis 6. He says this concerning man. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He looks out on man after the fall and he says, man is wholly corrupt. And so, and so to try to try to say, okay, let's let's compare each other and see which one is more corrupt is a useless endeavor. What we should be trying to do instead is to say, Lord, we all need you. Are you tracking with that? We all need you. It's in Galatians, or it's in John chapter 3 that we hear the words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world because the world was broken. The world was corrupt. African people were broken. Israelis were broken. Asians were broken. Europeans were broken. African-Americans, white Americans, Latinos were broken. And so God, out of his love, sent his son into a broken world to redeem us all. And that is another thing that we have in common, our common redemption. We all are being rescued through the same Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's, what, here's the beauty about what that means for us is that, is that because this Savior is rescuing us all, we find that he is, also, he is also joining us together. He's not just rescuing you separately, but he's rescuing you and bringing you into a new body, into a new family. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, that now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, listen to this, you are all sons of God. 
You are all African, Latino, Asian, European. You are all sons of God through faith. So your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have trust in Jesus Christ, I have trust in Jesus Christ, then we have common ancestry. We have common bloodline. We are one. Amen? So yes, we have common creation and we had common fall, but we got common redemption as well. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to say in that same text, for as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what happens is that in the fall, right, we lose ourselves. But in the redemption, we, rest we get restored, don't we? He brings us back to the place that we were supposed to be. And it's not just because you're black. It's not just because you're white. He brings us back because of his son. His son is what makes, is what gives us new value. His son is what gives us or restores our dignity. His son. And, and what's interesting about Galatians 3 is that this is a text about um, about the law and about culture, so to speak. So, so what's happening in Galatians, uh, Galatians is that some folks are coming down to Galatia and saying, hey, in order for you to be truly Christian, you got to do it like we do it back in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, mm -mm, that ain't how you're Christian. You're Christian through faith. So this is, this is, this is why that's important. And this is why that, this text here that says, hey, neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, this is why this is so important for us. Because what we often do as we are redeemed, our culture becomes the criteria by which other people are considered righteous or unrighteous. So we say, well, well, you're on your way. But as soon as you start singing these songs like we sing it, then you'll be righteous like us. That's why we just mess it up and just sing all kinds of songs. Because, because we're literally and intentionally trying to destroy the idea that your cultural preference brings about a righteousness. Paul says, no, 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 no. You aren't righteous because you get circumcised. You aren't righteous because you follow the Jewish customs. And neither are you righteous because you have an organ or a piano or a drum set or no organ or no piano or no drum set. You are righteous because of your faith in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. That's what unites you. And then lastly, we are united in our, our, in our creation. We're united and we hold in common our fallenness. We hold in common our redemption, but we also hold in common our restoration, our glorious and divine restoration. It says in Revelation chapter 7, and we've looked at this before, that after I looked and behold, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and every people and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Listen, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Here's what's crazy about that text. It does not say that there's just a bunch of people there you actually maintain the distinctions. He said, he said I saw, I saw in this great, this great group, 
people that represented every nation, people that represented every tribe, people that represented every language. In other words, you take to heaven your distinction and God perfects the unity in the midst of it. So you can't say because we're different, we can't be united because God's literally going to perfect unity in the midst of your distinctions. Does that make sense? He's not, he's not going to say, all right, let's try to figure out what race we're going to make everybody. Uh, hmm, what can we do here? Have a, you know, have a race, race lotto, and then whoever comes out on top, everybody's white or everybody's black. All right, now we're unified. That's not how God is doing this. He's literally leaving the distinctions in place and bringing about unity in the midst of that. That's what's happening in heaven. So why not pursue it here? Let me leave you by just kind of chatting with you a little bit on this and just sharing my heart. That's the truth part. This is the love part. And it's a short part, but this is the love part. In order for us to be genuinely unified, we have to love each other towards unity, right? But in order to genuinely love each other towards unity, we have to be courageous in it. So I shared all this truth, right, in order that you might, when the lies come, courageously speak up for your brothers and sisters in truth. Because what we have now is a culture that is pervasive in their sending out of false and lying messages about ethnicity, about race, about color, about people. And what the tendency is for the Christian in the midst of that is just to simply say, when we get around our kin folks, and when we get around the uncle, the racist uncle, or when we get around the whoever, it's just to simply just say, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Instead of saying, no, 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 you're off, you're off, man, you're off. It's not right. There are, listen, there are some honest black people. There are plenty of honest black people. I got plenty of them in my circle. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. There are some honest white people. I got plenty of them in my circle. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. That's, that's courageous love. You know, many note Dr. King's call to unity. Many people now in this day and age, when you look at who's, how beloved is Dr. King, Dr. King is beloved. Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, tomorrow's his birthday. Dr. King is beloved in our, in our nation now. And the tendency is to think that it was always that way. But you know that when he made that I have a dream speech, you know that the majority of the country had a negative opinion of him when they did surveys. A overwhelmingly negative opinion of him when he was saying that speech. And do you know when he got shot in 1968, this is the 50th year, in April, this is 50 years when Dr. King was shot in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Do you know when he got shot that his favorability or his, his, his percep or the perception of favor in this country was pretty much at its lowest? And when he got shot, he didn't have many, he didn't have many allies, didn't have many friends even black folks, because it was a black power movement happening during that time. And they're like, man, you're too weak with all this nonviolence. These people are stepping on our neck, and we need to retaliate. But he was committed to truth. 
The truth that says when your enemy smites you on the cheek, you do what? Offer the other. And it wasn't a favorable truth, but it was a courageous one. You understand? And so what I'm asking you to do as you go into, and, and, and let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. As you go into your circles, your homes, your job, and when it becomes an all-black space and when it becomes an all-white space, let's be honest with each other. There are going to come opportunities for you to speak truth in the defense of your brothers and in the defense of your sisters. We are lying if we say, really, you know, I don't never really ever hear anybody say anything racist. Stop it. Stop it. Just stop it, right? Let's stop it. When the opportunity comes, be ready to step in courageously and correct and confront. Does that make sense? If my friend, right, my friend, Sid's my friend. If Sid's my friend and Sid's getting into a fight and I say, while Sid's getting beat up by three dudes, You know, I mean, I love Sid. I really love Sid. I really love Sid. I really love Sid. And I'm against fighting. I really am against fighting. I'm against bullying. I do not like bullying. I do not like bullying. While Sid is getting beat to a bloody pulp, has that done Sid any good? Has that communicated love to Sid in any shape, form, or fashion? And so this is what happens oftentimes in Christian circles, right? I'm against racism. I'm against racism. Racism is going on all around you. People saying all kinds of outlandish things in your circle. And you're like, man, I love everybody. I love everybody. I love everybody. But you are silent while your brothers and sisters are being stepped on and trampled on and being given all sorts of negative stereotypes that you know without a shadow of a doubt do not fit them. What is love? Love is to step into the fight with Sid and to take the same blows that he's taking if I have to because he's my brother. Love is to step in the fight with your white brothers or your white sisters or your black brothers or your black sisters and to take whatever blows you got to take with them but to stand with them. That's what love looks like. It's not easy. It's not easy but it's courageous. And by the spirit of the living God, that's what he has equipped us with. The spirit has not, oh, God has not given us what? A spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of love, of power, and a sound mind. We can go into those spaces and we can love each other well and we can defend each other well because God is with us when we go. Dr. King was 39 when he died. I'm 39, I'm 39 this year, and so it hits me differently now. I realize just how courageous a man must have been to put it all on the line when it seems like that there's so much more life to live. He put it all on the line because of love, love for neighbor. He chastised the Christians who tried to play it safe. When he wrote his letter in the Birmingham jail, he said this, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have, gravely, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached a regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate. 
who is more, more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, versus a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with you in the methods of your action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable of another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is more bewildering than outright rejection. Folks, we're going to come into this space every single Sunday, and we're going to love each other well. But the challenge that we have, and we have to live this challenge out only by the grace of God and only by the power of his spirit, is when we leave this space and we enter into these exclusive circles, whether they be black, white, or other, and we have to begin to defend our brothers who we love and who we worship with and fellowship with. That's our challenge. May we go with the power of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, and we give you praise and glory and honor. We ask, Lord God, that you would continue to work in us. We ask, Lord God, that you would continue to stir our hearts towards courage, courage to love each other well, courage to take the hits, to take the lumps if we have to, Lord, but to take them, Lord God, uh, not, not, not without purpose, to take them, Lord God, as a demonstration, Lord God, that we love each other, that we love each other, Lord God, and we'll, and we'll defend one another and that we will speak truth into a world that is littered with lies about our family. We love you and we give you the thanks, praise, and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.com. Dot org.